Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online. So thankful that you're joining us as well. Uh, This is a a special week in our area, and you probably, as you were walking in the lobby, uh, you may have seen some thank you notes on a table out there. And this is a week that in our area we set aside for Teacher Appreciation Week. And so on your way out, if you have some time, would you take a second, and it'll take you longer than a second, I shouldn't lie in church, uh, take uh, maybe a minute or two and sign and maybe just write a note, a couple sentences to a teacher. Uh, it doesn't have to be an ind- a specific teacher, but just to teachers in our area. And then we're going to deliver these a little bit later this week just to let people know that we're very thankful for them. Uh, and so that's something today. And then another quick thing before we dive into uh, our series, uh, at the end of our service today, we're going to have a short interest kind of interest meeting for those of you that would say hey I've heard about sports camp I was involved in it last year or maybe I I wasn't involved in in it but I'd I'd be interested in finding out more information about it last year we had about 40 volunteers that helped make sports camp happen and so we're looking forward to uh, hopefully having more kids this year at it than we did last year and so right after church about 10 minutes after in the fellowship hall, we're going to have about a 10 or 15 minute just time where we explain it, tell you a little bit more about it, tell you how you can be involved. You're not like signing on the dotted line if you enter the room, like I'm, I'm all in. But we just want you to find out more about it because, man, it does take quite a few people. And it's honestly one of the most fun things that we did and probably have done in the history of our church with sports camp. And so that is coming up right after church today, about 10 minutes after the service. And I'd love for you to join us for that, for that just short time together. Uh, this week, a few of us, uh, we went down to San Francisco and we saw, and if you're a baseball fan, you would know this. We saw San Francisco play Oakland and uh, San Francisco won the night that we were there and it wasn't too cold. So uh, it, it was a, a, overall a really good time. And, and for those of you that are baseball fans, you know this, we're, we're still in the really beginning of the season. And so everybody, no matter what team you're a fan of, you still kind of have hope this far into the season. Because even the last place teams, even the teams that are the farthest back right now, because it's still early in the season, they're, they're not that far back. They're not that many games out. And so you kind of still are holding out hope. But as we get into the season farther, and, and you'll know this, some of you are like, I, I, don't, I didn't even know it was baseball season. But for those of you that are baseball fans, you know, man, as you get into the season farther, then the hope kind of goes away because the, the really good teams start to separate themselves from the really bad teams. And, and that four or five, six games out of first place becomes 20, 25 games out. And, and so you lose hope because there's a few teams at the end of the season 
that will be vying for just a few playoff spots. And, and if you're a fan, what gets us nervous is we don't know like how many games they need to win to make the playoffs. So some, some years, maybe 90 wins will get you in the playoffs. Some, some years, you, you need 95. And so we, we kind of get nervous because we don't know, man, how good does our team have to be to make it? How good is good enough to get into the playoffs this year? And whether you're a baseball fan or whether you're not a sports fan at all, you have probably asked yourself a very similar question in different areas of your life. And, and here, here's what I mean. You have probably asked yourself and kind of grappled with this question, how good is good enough? You, you've asked yourself, how good is good enough to, to get into the college I want to get into? How good is good enough to win the award that I hope I'm going to win? How good is good enough to, to get that job that I really want to get? How good is good enough to, to make the team? I, I tried out for a team I really want to be on, and there's a lot of great people that tried out. How good is good enough to make that team that I really want to make? And, and every one of us, we have felt the tension of did I do enough in different areas of our life? Whether you're somebody that's a person of faith or somebody that's skeptical of faith and, and that's not, you know, faith isn't really your thing, doesn't really matter where you are on, on the faith scale or even what age you are, every one of us has, has dealt with that tension at some point in our life of, hey, how good is good enough? Did I do enough to make or get what I want? And you may have felt that way as it relates to God. Most likely, again, no, no matter if you're somebody that's a person of faith or not, there's probably a good chance that at some point in your journey, at some point in your life, you have grappled with that question, how good is good enough as it relates to God? You've probably wondered, how good is good enough to kind of get in good with God? Like, what do I need to do to, to kind of get in with God? And then maybe you've grappled with this question as well. How good is good enough to stay in with God? Like, what do I got to do to kind of to be all good with God and, and Him be happy with me? And then, man, what do I need to do to kind of stay in that spot? Because I don't want to lose it once I get it. And if you haven't grappled with that question, then it's probably something you should grapple with because it's a pretty big question that you don't want to get wrong. I mean, there's, there's certain things in our life that when we get to the end of our life, we'll look back on and, and there's certain decisions and questions we had that honestly at that point won't matter. Like, okay, maybe I should have bought cryptocurrency sooner. Maybe we should have bought the white car instead of the red car. Maybe we should have taken the job transfer. Maybe it would have been a good thing. At the end of our life, even though in season, some of those questions were, were important and, and big, by the end of our life, those types of things won't matter. But what will matter is questions that we have as it relates to faith, as it relates to God, as it relates to where we spend eternity, and we don't want to get those wrong. There, there's questions that we can get wrong and be okay, and these are questions we don't want to get wrong. 
in the end. And whether you find yourself kind of in the skeptic lane or whether you find yourself in the, man, I'm a longtime follower of Jesus, the great news is we don't have to figure this out alone because Jesus actually dealt with this very, a very similar question when there was a young man that came to him and asked him, how good is good enough? What do I have to do to be good with God? And we find this story, it was an important story about a real guy, because it's actually written about in three of the four Gospels. It's written about in Matthew, it's written about in Mark, and it's also written about in Luke. And we're going to look at Mark's account of this meeting Jesus had with this, this guy that had this question. And, and Mark was written by Shocker, a guy by the name of Mark, who got most of his information from Peter. He and Peter were good friends. Peter was a, a close disciple of Jesus. And so Mark spent a lot of time with Peter and got a lot of what he wrote was, was information that he got from, from Peter. And we're going to pick up the, the interaction that Jesus had with this guy that had this question in Mark's account, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And it says this, it says, as he was setting out on a journey... Jesus, he was, he was getting ready to go somewhere. A man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what do, must I do to inherit eternal life? Based on what we, we see in Matthew and, and, and Mark and Luke, the, all three of them wrote about this guy. Based on what we we've seen in all of those accounts, we know that this guy was young. We know that this guy was really wealthy. And we know that this guy was a leader in society. So this guy that comes to ask Jesus this question, this is the type of guy that you want your daughter to bring home. I mean, he's, he's young, he's rich, he's a leader in society. Like, this is a pretty sharp guy. And he comes to Jesus and he has a simple question. His simple question is, hey, what do I need to do? What do I need to accomplish to secure eternal life in heaven with God. Like, how good is good enough? And here's what we know based on his question, that it's obvious by his question that, that this guy believed in life after death. We know that obviously this guy wasn't really sure about where he was in that whole process, and so he had some questions. And this guy, this young, rich leader, he, he thought Jesus would have some answers. And so he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus a, a simple question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to be good with God? And before Jesus addresses this question, he actually asks another question that becomes very important to this whole conversation. Here's what Jesus says. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, no one is good except God alone. So, so Jesus, hey, hey, I just want to know, like, how good do I have to be? What do I have to do? What do I have to accomplish to, to be in with God, to inherit eternal life? What, what do I got to do? And, and before Jesus says, hey, let me tell you, he says, hey, let me, you, you, you've messed up here a little bit. Why are you calling me good? Because no one is 
is good except for God. So basically, I'm God, and so yes, I am good, but, but you might not know that because, and no one's good except for God. See, man, whether this, you may not like that I say this, but man is not inherently good. And that, this is the point Jesus is making. No, no one is inherently good except for God. And you might push back a little bit on that. Maybe you're watching online and you're like, ah, I don't know. There's some really good people I know. But no one is inherently good. And, and if, you, if you grapple with that and aren't sure about that, just go visit a preschool daycare for a few hours. And you won't have that question anymore. Because here's what you don't have to do. You don't have to teach selfishness. You don't have to teach manipulation. You don't have to teach pride. You don't have to teach impatience. What you do have to teach is sharing and being nice to each other. Because there's certain things that just come naturally. And, it, and by looking at little kids, you, you can see that kind of unfiltered, that man, that as cute as they might be inside, they're not inherently good. They're inherently not good, which is why we need Jesus. But so Jesus is making this point that, man, you know what? No one is good except for God. And then Jesus continues and he talks about something that this guy would understand, kind of talks his language. He says this, you know, the commandments, and of course this guy did. He's a sharp guy. I'm sure he, he studied the scriptures. You, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus like, you, you know, man, you know all these things. And, and this guy's listening, listening, listening. And here's what this guy says. He says, he said to him, teacher, Man, I've kept all these from my youth. This guy's probably thinking, man, this is easier than I thought. Yeah, check, 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 check. Man, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed adultery, at least in the, the sense that I think he's talking about. I've lost it in my mind, but Jesus, we don't want to talk about that. And, and so he's checking all the boxes like, oh, okay, I'm good. He's probably feeling like, okay, man, this is, I'm glad I got this conversation with Jesus. I, I've done all those things, Jesus. Where's my ticket? And then it says this, and I, I love this. It says, looking at him, Jesus loved him. And, and Mark's the only one out of the three that wrote about this story that actually writes this in. And he says, as Jesus looked at this guy, he, he loved him. He had compassion for him. And you've probably felt this. I mean, have, have you ever had someone that you'd loved and you, man, you wanted them to get it, but you couldn't get it for them? Like you, you wanted them to understand something. You wanted them to make a choice that would be helpful and you knew it would be helpful, but, but you, you couldn't do it for them, but you loved them and you were hoping that they would do the right thing. And, and Jesus, it says, as, as this guy's, man, I, I, I did all those, I'm good. That Jesus just, he feels compassion for this guy. He feels love for this guy. And then it says this. It says, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor. And you will receive, 
you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus, I've, I've done all that. I've kept all the commandments. There's one more thing. You need to go sell everything you have. You need to give it away. Then come follow me. So, so is Jesus saying that in order to be good enough, in order to kind of be good with God, that we have to sell everything we have, that we have to give it all away? No. This man had put his trust in earthly wealth. His God was his stuff. And whether it was greed, covetousness, or pride, or maybe all the above, this man, like us, was not perfect. He was a sinner. And Jesus knew this man wasn't perfect, and he, he used the area of wealth to help this man see that he wasn't perfect, that there was sin, that there were things in his life that, that did not line up with what God wanted. And instead of, of this young man embracing what Jesus said and, and following Jesus' advice and his call to follow him, Mark tells us that it says this in verse 27. It says, but he was dismayed. That word dismayed means shocked. Jesus, what do I have to do to be good enough? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I've check, check, check. I've done all that. Just one more thing. And it's, I can't, I can't do that. He was dismayed. He was shocked by this demand. And it says this, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. He was disappointed. He was sad. He was shocked because, man, this is a mover and shaker in society. And he probably thought he would come to Jesus and just get the deal done like he did in every other area of his life. And he wasn't able to get the deal done. He wasn't able to walk away with what he had hoped for. And instead, he was going to continue to be blinded by the lure of his possessions and the false hope that it gave him. And, and it says this, after, after this man, he, he walks away and is grieved. And I'm sure Jesus and the disciples are grieved as well. It says this in verse 23. It says, Jesus looked around. And, and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. That, that word, how hard, he means how impossible it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Wealth tends to breed self-sufficiency and a false sense of security, and it leads some to imagine that they don't need God. That they can do it on their own. And as the disciples are there, and, and Jesus all throughout his, his kind of teaching and throughout his ministry, you see him always trying to use moments to teach his guys and, and to help them understand things at a deeper level. And that's what he does here. He, after this guy walks away kind of grieving and, and upset because, man, he's, he's not going to get into, into heaven. He's, he's not going to have a relationship with God. He's not willing to do what Jesus said. Jesus uses that opportunity to tell his guys, guys, to, to get into the kingdom of heaven and to be good with God, sometimes wealth can be an obstacle. And, and it says this, that the disciples, they were astonished. 
They, they were surprised and, and he, at, at what Jesus says because in their kind of system in Judaism, when, when someone had a lot of stuff, at least in their mind, what they had been taught is, hey, rich people must be doing things right because they have the favor of God on their life. And, and, and people that struggled and maybe didn't have as much, they, people were looked at as, hey, man, they must have sin in their life. They must have done something wrong. Maybe their parents did something wrong. And, and that's why God's favor isn't on them. So to these guys, they're, they're looking at this rich guy like, man, for sure he's getting in because, man, he's rich, he's young, he's a leader. Obviously, he has the favor of God on his life. And so when Jesus says he's not getting in, he's not good enough, they're surprised. Like, what? What, what do you mean? And it says this, again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? And then he uses a memorable Jewish proverb that they probably would have known to kind of to show how hard it is. He says this, it's easier for a camel, which to them was something they, camels all over the place, huge animals. And he says, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus' point is a relationship with God by human effort is impossible. It, obviously, it's impossible for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. And Jesus' point is it is impossible to do enough humanly to get God's favor, to be good enough. And and it wasn't like uh, at that point they're like, oh, okay, we get it now. All right, yeah, okay, we're good with that, Jesus. It says this. They were even more astonished. Like, what, what are you saying? They said to one another, then, then who can be saved? Like, is, is anybody good enough? If this guy can't get in, if this guy can't earn it, then who even gets in? Jesus, how good is good enough? Perfection. Perfection is good enough. See, the rich young leader that came to Jesus, probably as they looked at him, he, man, he seemed like a class act. And he probably was. He was probably better than most people. But, but here's the problem. He was like us. He was a sinner and as a result was separated from God. And, and, and maybe we push back a little bit because we're like, man, yeah, yeah, maybe he, he was a sinner, but man, he, he wasn't perfect, but he was better than probably 90% of the people around him, and he probably was. So doesn't, doesn't that get him in with God a little bit? Like, doesn't he get a little bit of favor with God by being better than 90% of the people? L listen to what Paul said about this in Romans chapter 3. Paul was a guy that, he was really good at kind of making things super clear. And so so look, what, look at what he says. He says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Verse 11, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Verse 12 says this, all have turned away. 
all alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Paul, what are you really saying? I mean, he used no one probably way more times than you're supposed to use no one in, in the same passage. He, he makes it clear, like, there is no one. And, and in case you wondered, he says this, not even one. Not even the person you're thinking about, like, ah, I know he says no one, but you know Aunt Sally, you know Billy Graham, you know Mother Teresa, you know, and you have like good people in your mind. And he says, not even them, no one is good. And then later on in in that same passage, he says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and have fallen short, have missed the mark of the glory of God. Let let me illustrate. So let's pretend that here in Yuba City, we have a mountain. We have a a mountain right in the middle of Yuba City. And and then there's a mountain in, in New York City. And in between the mountain in Yuba City and New York City is just a, a huge hole. And, and here's what we have to do. Like, like we were told, like, in order to be good with God, we have to jump from the mountain in Yuba City to the mountain in New York City. So, so Billy Graham, he lines up. He's, he's no longer alive, so he wouldn't really line up. But say, and like, spry, and like when he was in his prime, Billy Graham, he lines up. He takes a jump. Coach Matt has coached him up, so he's ready. And, and dude, he, 50 feet, like he breaks the world record. Man, he, he just kills it. Mother Teresa, again, not alive anymore, but man, she did a lot for the poor, a lot of nice things. And, and so, man, in her prime, again, coached up by Coach Matt, she goes, she jumps, she, she beats Billy Grant like 52 feet. So now you think of, okay, who's the worst person that I can think of? So Hitler, he lines up. Again, in his, in his prime, he's, he's as spry as he's ever been. And, and he, he runs and he jumps and he trips at the edge and literally just barely falls over the edge. He doesn't even get a foot because he was a bad dude, evil dude. Think of anybody else. You, you can you know, think of other people. At the end of the day, as good as Billy Graham was, as good as your Aunt Sally was, as good as you name, you know, who the nicest, best Christian person you can think of, 52 feet from here to New York City is still going to be a bad ending. Yeah, Hitler, awful person, did awful things. Barely, man, he barely goes four inches. He falls over the edge. Ends, ends bad for him too. At the end of the day, the person that did the best and the person that did the worst all fell extremely short of God's perfection. They all fell extremely short on what it takes to be good enough to have God's favor, to have a relationship with God. And so it becomes clear that it is impossible from a human perspective to hit the mark. 
You can't go to church enough to be good enough. You can't give enough money to church or to charities to be good enough. So, so you're saying, Chris, whether you're online or maybe you're here this morning, so you're saying, are you saying that on my own it is impossible and that I am hopeless? Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. That, that on our own, that it is impossible to have a relationship with God. On our own, it is impossible to have favor with God. It is impossible to have a right relationship with God by our own efforts. Every single one of us falls up short. And here's the question. Are you okay with the fact that you can't do anything to be good enough to gain God's favor? Like, does that sit okay with you? That no matter how good you are, no matter all the great things you did compared to somebody else, are you okay with the fact that you can't do enough to be good with God? See, after Jesus has just like blown these guys' minds by saying, yeah, this guy, he doesn't get in. He's not good enough. Jesus says this in verse 27. He says, looking at them, Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. But not with God, because all things are possible with God. Jesus is saying, you know what? You, you can't do it yourself. You, you can't be good enough yourself. It's impossible, which is why I came. I'm here to give you what you could not get on your own. And, and so the, the question, instead of asking that question, how good is good enough? Because the answer is depressing. There's maybe a better question. That leads to a little bit more hope. And, and here's the question, the maybe better question is, who is good enough? Not, not how good is good enough, but who is good enough? See, if I'm not good enough, then I need someone else to be good enough for me. And, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, he says this, he says, he, talking about Jesus, made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made the one who did not know sin, who was perfect, to be sin for us. So someone that has never sinned, someone that is perfect, doesn't have to take care of their own sin because they've never sinned. So they can take care of somebody else's. And it says to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, and basically it's Jesus is offering us a trade. He says, you know what? I was good enough. And, and, and I will take your sin and I will give you my goodness. 
I will take your sin. I will take your evil. I'll take all your disobedience to God. And because I never did that, I will take that on myself. I will pay the price for it. And I will trade you my goodness. I will trade you my righteousness. So when God looks at you, you can have a relationship with him because he doesn't see your sin. He sees my righteousness because we traded. And and that's what this verse means. See, Jesus was good enough. And as I said earlier, kind of towards the beginning, every one of us, we've, we've felt that tension in some area of our life. Maybe it's not spiritually, but all of us have felt that tension of, hey, are we good enough? Did I do enough, whether it's at work, whether it's something in school, whether it's in sports, whether it's, man, wanting to win an award, we've all dealt with that tension of, am I good enough? Did I do enough? And and for some of us, we've dealt with that maybe in our relationship with God as well, And, and that's important that we do. Because, you know, that award is probably good now, and man, getting that scholarship to college and or, or getting that new job. I mean, man, we, yeah, of course, you, you want to be good enough to get that. You want to have done enough to get those things that are important to you. But at the end of your life, those aren't going to matter. But, but while all those things, they may be important in seasons of our life, they won't matter. But what will matter in the end is where I stand in my relationship with God. And whether you're watching online or, or you're here this morning... If you have this mindset, and this is kind of a popular mindset, and you know, for whatever reason, if you have this mindset that one day you're going to stand before God and, and he's going to kind of break out a scale and he's going to weigh like your good deeds with your bad deeds. And if, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you're kind of going to get in. If that's your mindset, you're going to be devastated in the end. Because actually, that's actually the mindset that Jesus came to destroy. So if if that's kind of how you're playing this thing out, like, I think in the end, I'll just kind of hopefully do enough good to kind of take care of the bad stuff. It's not going to end well. And based on what Jesus says, because that's exactly what he came to take on was that mindset of earning righteousness with God, earning favor with God by good works. He took that on. He was the most straightforward and the most harsh with people that kind of espoused that idea. Those were the people he wasn't good with usually, the religious people. And Jesus came to destroy that. So, so if you're here and you would maybe find yourself, if you're honest, you'd find yourself, you'd say, you know what, Chris, I, I kind of find myself in that skeptic lane. Here, here's the question I would ask you. Would you be willing to take a, just take a hard look at your life? Because there's something in all of us, if, you'll, if we admit it, sometimes we might be afraid to admit this, but there's something in all of us, even if you don't buy into the whole faith thing, there's something in all of us that tells us that, man, there's something more out there. there there's, there's something in us that no matter how good we are or all the things we try to do in our society, 
There, there's something in us that, that as we think about it and we contemplate our life, there's something in us that isn't quite sure, that thinks maybe we're not doing enough. Maybe we're still missing the mark, even if we're trying to do all the right things. There's something in us, even if we're not followers of Jesus, inside of us. In fact, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he said it this way, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. There's something inside of us that says there's more. I, I, am I doing enough? There's, there's got to be something else. And, and if, if, if you find yourself skeptical of the whole faith thing, would you, would you just consider what Jesus said? Uh, the, the reason we feel that way is because, man, we aren't good enough. Like we're never going to do enough to, to go to bed at night and say, you know what? I think I'm good with God. I could just die now. I think I'm good. We, we can't do enough. We're not good enough. It's why he came and he won't force himself on us, but he offers us a gift. It's the gift of salvation. It's the gift of saying, hey, let me give you my goodness, my righteousness, and let me take your filth. Let me take your sin. Let me take your disobedience. Let me take your hopelessness. I took care of that on the cross. I died so you don't have to carry that. But I offer you what I have now. Goodness, salvation, a relationship with God, a home in heaven. But you got to take it. He's not going to force it. And so if you find yourself here or watching online and you, you find yourself a little skeptical, and as you think about and you contemplate what inside is telling you, there's, there's got to be a little something more. There's, there's still something. I'm still missing the mark. Would you consider maybe it's what Jesus said, that he's what you're missing? Not knowledge of him, but a relationship with him is what we're missing. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you would say, hey, Chris, not a, definitely not a perfect person, but man, I am a follower of Jesus. There was a time when, when I realized that I wasn't good enough and that my sin separated me from God, and, and I believed that Jesus took my sin and he died and rose from the grave, and, and I accepted that gift of salvation. I accepted his righteousness for my sin. There was a time that I did that. If that's your lane, and I know there's several of you here that you'd say, yes, Chris, that's the lane I'm in. If that's you, then today should spark for you two responses. And here's what they are. The first one is gratefulness. Jesus loved me and gave me the unmatched gift of salvation. And so if you find yourself in that lane where you are a follower of Jesus, one of the responses that you should have today is gratefulness. Because it's, it's, it's super easy, especially if you've been following Jesus for a while, to almost get used to it. And so this, this idea of gratitude because of, man, I couldn't do it myself, but he did. That, that gratefulness should be one of our responses. And the second response should be humility. J just like I needed Jesus for salvation, just like I couldn't save myself, just like, man, I could never, never jump all the way over on my own. I needed someone else, just like I needed Jesus. Then I need his power now to be a good dad. 
I need his power to be a good employee. I need his power to be a good boss. I need his power to be, you fill in the blank. I need Jesus today to live for him just like I needed him to save me. And that should, that we should have humility in our hearts. It, we should never walk through life proud, like, oh, I got this thing together. No, we should walk through life in, uh, from a place of dependence where we're saying, every single day, Jesus, I need you. I don't need you for salvation again. I can't lose that. Once I have that, you've told me that I'll never lose that, but I need it for, I need you to help me represent you well in my society. So, so we ask a question at the very beginning. How good is good enough? And the scriptures were written. A lot of, a lot of things were said in the New Testament about this. But John, when he wrote, he said it kind of this way. He said, you know what? I wrote these things for you so that you would know you have eternal life. That you wouldn't have to ask, am I good enough? So that you would know. And then when you know, it gives you freedom then to not walk through life worried about, is God mad at me? Is he not mad at me? Did I do enough? It's no. Because of Jesus, I can walk through life and have freedom and focus on loving and serving people the way Jesus did. And that's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for our time together. And Lord, we, we thank you for this interaction that you had with this young man. This young man who had a question that people have been asking for thousands of years. That people have been wondering. They've, they've wondered, and, and, and we have too at times. They've wondered, like, what do I need to do to be good with God? And God, we're, we're just so thankful that you provided a way because we can't be good enough. And God, I pray that if we're here today and we find ourselves in the skeptic lane, that we would just really contemplate what Jesus said in this passage, in this story, in this interaction. And that if we find ourselves just wondering, why is there still a hole in my heart? Why is it do I still feel that there's something more? Why do I find myself worried if I'm, if I'm doing enough? Lord, I pray that those people that maybe feel that way would lean into you. That they would accept your gift of salvation. And Lord, for those of us that maybe have been following you, some for a few weeks, maybe some for decades... I pray that we would respond to this story and to this interaction with a heart of gratefulness. That we would respond by never forgetting what you did, what you went through, and what you saved us from. And I pray, God, that we would also walk through life with just a, a humble dependence on you knowing that just like we needed you in order to be good enough because of Jesus, we need you to be a good dad. We need you to be a good wife, husband, employee, employer, grandma, grandpa, 
And so, God, I pray that we would humbly seek you every day. And, Lord, we're so thankful that you've made clear in your word that once we have a relationship with you, that man, we can't lose it. On our best day, we don't get more of it. And on our worst day, we don't lose it. You love us no matter what our day looked like. But God, I pray that we would walk through life understanding that and having the freedom to love and serve other people and give them the same hope. In Jesus' name, amen.